0: Either that or you're the fake ones that just want to get it over with. It's one of the, it's one or the other, right? You love Jesus. That's why you're here, right? That's what we believe. I honor you for being here this morning to, to worship the Lord with us and to see what God would have to start the day off with him. Uh, I'm excited because we're going to get to celebrate communion for the first time since being quarantined together. We've celebrated it digitally you've you've had to do that in your house get your own elements together and all that kind of stuff but we get to celebrate communion uh at the end of the service today so do you all have your communion everybody's all set great we will we will do that together just just a heads up just a warning and thank you to the team who put it together and whoever thought to put these little packets together so we could socially distance communion. just a heads up the juice or wine or vinegar or whatever it is is pretty 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 something else But the good news is is that these little wafers, uh, they melt in your mouth. They don't get stuck in your teeth like the matzah that we normally use. Can we have fun? Can we have fun this morning? Good. Listen, if we're going to be up this early, we might as well have fun, right? Right. You're like, what are you talking about, Pastor Josh? How many of you have been up since 3 a.m.? 4 a.m.? 5 a.m.? 5 a.m.? Okay. 6 a.m.? Okay. All right. I see how you roll. So we're going to go into the... (laughs) I'm in a mood. I'm in a mood. How many of you are in a mood? I'm in a mood. All right. So just a real quick heads up. Uh, This afternoon, after the 11.30 service, around 12.45, we will start uh, our annual church business meeting. You should have gotten some information for that. Uh, the people who are he- registered for the 1130 service can stay and do that in person. So if you're not registered, I assume you're here because you're not registered for that service, you can join us online or just skip it. Uh, it's really up to you. It's going to be a quick meeting if you join us uh, on, fa- on Zoom. You should have gotten information with all the packets and who we're voting for and how to get on that. So feel free to join us um, later on today for that. Um, how many of you picked up some habits in middle school? How many of you are able to admit that you still have these habits? I have, I have a couple habits that I had in middle school. One has left me and one has stuck with me. And I, I picked these habits up in study hall. Now, one of them has been beneficial to my life, and one is, well, it didn't really matter anyway. I'm kind of glad it wasn't a part of it. So the first uh, habit that I picked up in study hall in middle school was playing poker, like five card draw for ripped up pieces of paper, and we could play it for hours. I mean, like, every study hall, we were just trying to get back to the little study hall casino that we built, and I mean, it never meant anything. We never won anything. There was never money exchanged, just little pieces of paper that were ripped up and exchanged, and I don't know that it taught me to play really well, because like, if you're gambling, like, you should kind of make sure that you don't lose all your chips, and it didn't matter if you lost all your pieces of paper, right? You can just Rip some more up at the net for the next study hall, you're all good to go. Now that, that one didn't get me made fun of necessarily. That was actually part of being with the in crowd. Like if you were part of the poker game, you were the cool kids in study hall. But I had another habit that I picked up in study hall. Uh, the poker habit left. I don't play poker with my kids. I don't rip up pieces of paper. I don't go to, try to go to casinos and win money. So that, that habit has not stuck with me. But I had another habit that has stuck with me. And this was the kind of habit that didn't get me in with the cool crowd. This is the kind of habit that kind of got me made fun of a little bit. And I was literally, legitimately the kid that read encyclopedias. Like, not because I had to, because there was a paper due, but we had every classroom in middle school had a set of encyclopedias in the back. You remember those? Before Wikipedia, remember actual, legitimate? I don't even think they sell encyclopedias anymore. You can't get a physical encyclopedia. You should probably save those for a museum. Uh, if you have a set. But I used to read them in class or in study hall. Like I, I look forward to those study halls when there wasn't a poker game that I could pull out the encyclopedias. And I'm not I'm not talking about like going to the articles that were interesting. I'm talking about starting an A and reading through. Now how many of you say, Pastor Josh, you're a door like be honest. Like you would have been the kid like looking at the guy reading the encyclopedia like that's the kid to make fun of. But it but it, that's a habit that stuck with me. My, my family will tell you, uh, I think at one point my son called me, I, I criticized him, I, I came into the living room and I was talking to him and he wasn't listening, I said, hey TV head, and he turned around and said to me, what do you, what iPad head, right, now my, my, I, I, I still love information, I love to know what's going on, I have this quest, this desire to have knowledge and to, to, to understand what's going on in the world and what has gone on in history, I fell, fell asleep a few nights ago because there's there's like debate around Columbus, Christopher Columbus and Columbus Day. Like I fell asleep a few nights ago just researching Christopher Columbus. Like that'll give you some good dreams, right? And I just have this, I have this thirst for knowledge. And, and that can be a really good thing because it can get you to places. You can have great results in your life when you know a lot of stuff. But it also can have some really terrible results. And one of them is becoming a know-it-all. How many of you ever... Well, let's just start here. How many of you are a know-it-all? I'll start by raising my hand. I'm the only one who's. Thank you, Kyle, for your honesty and transparency. Susan, thank you for letting Rob raise your hand. You guys can work that out later. We did this marriage conference. It's online. You can watch it. We really. I'm just teasing. We honor you. We love you. You have a wonderful marriage. I love your playfulness with one another. I love uh, how interactive you are with the sermon, so we love you, we honor you. How many of you, if you weren't a know-it-all, how many of you knew a know-it-all? How many of you are married? No, 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 we won't go there. Like, sometimes, not sometimes, most of the time, being around a know-it-all is no fun, right? Right? Especially when they claim to know it all about something that you know something about. Or maybe you could teach them something about. Being a know-it-all does not just affect relationships. It can actually, and for all the know-it-alls in the house, whether you raise your hand or not, I would just this is important to know, sometimes being a know-it-all can prevent you from getting more truth. Knowledge is powerful, right? You've heard that saying, knowledge is power. Or if you, I think it was NBC, The More You Know. Do you remember that? Am I the only one? They would do like infomercials and they'd be like, the more you know, boom, boom, boom. Okay, I'm not crazy. Dan is with me on that one. Knowledge, knowledge is powerful. But here's the truth from Scripture wisdom is better. Wisdom is better. What is wisdom? Biblically, w- w- true wisdom is knowledge applied. It's knowledge actually that affects the way we live our lives. Jesus said this about wisdom in Matthew chapter 11 verse 19, the last half of that verse. He said, "But wisdom is shown to be right by results." That's how the New Living Translation translates what Jesus said. Other versions, the King James Version says, "Wisdom is justified by her children," or "proved right by her deeds." Wisdom is proved right by her deeds. That, that's the NIV version. Or wisdom is what wisdom does. That's the Forrest Gump version. But, but it's a truth. Wisdom is what wisdom does. Wisdom in our lives, knowledge in our lives that is not applied to actual living is useless to us. Jesus commenting on a generation that thinks it knows what it wants out of its hero and out of its Messiah. That When he says wisdom is shown by its results or wisdom is proven by her deeds, he was speaking to a generation that was looking for a Messiah but still couldn't recognize the Messiah right in front of them. They had, a, they had a knowledge base, right? They said, we understand from scriptures, We're, we, we've studied, We're, we know there's a Messiah coming, we know he's going to do great stuff, this is what we've been taught about what he's going to do, and they have an understanding of Messiah, and when Jesus is right in front of them as Messiah, they can't apply that knowledge to what's actually happening in front of them, so they lack wisdom. Jesus said this, he, he said, wisdom is proven by what she does to, to a generation to a group of people that were not receiving him. They couldn't see Elijah or the Messiah right in front of them. They knew that Elijah was coming. They knew that he would prepare the way for the Lord, but they couldn't see it in John the Baptist and in Jesus. In fact, John the Baptist, this in Matthew chapter 11, sent his disciples to Jesus because he was even confused. Like, this is, this is John who had a miraculous birth. This is, this is John who grew up with Jesus. This is John who, who, had, who, who baptized Jesus in the Jordan River. This is John who saw the Spirit of God descend on Jesus like a dove. And he gave witness to the one. He said, this is the one who's coming. He, he said, this is Messiah. He actually told his disciples at one point, go follow him. And yet John, because things weren't going, things didn't work out the way he thought they should... Or he had a, in his mind to do. Send his disciples to Jesus to say, Jesus, are you the Messiah? See, we can have this knowledge base, and sometimes our knowledge base prevents us from further truth because we, we get narrow. We think we're wide in what we know. We think we're well-read in what we know. But our, our mindsets can keep us from seeing the wisdom that's being lived out right in front of us. And so what was Jesus' response to John's disciples His response was this, go back to John and tell him what you've seen and what you've heard. And what did they see and what did they hear? He said, the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. Look at the, he said, pay attention to the demonstration, the actual living out of the kingdom as well as the declaration. It's not just a bunch of words, but you're seeing the kingdom right in front of you. He appealed to the kingdom in action. The key idea that I want to share with us this morning that we can gather around is this. Wisdom fails when it fails to act. Wisdom fails when it fails to act. How many of you know who Solomon was, King Solomon? What's the defining mark of his life? Wisdom, right? He was the wisest man to ever live. In fact, he wrote an entire book entire books, but we have a book preserved of his wisdom in Proverbs. And, and he, he, he ap- appeals to wisdom over and over and over again. But, but what Solomon is is a great study in the knowledge not being fully lived out. Solomon in his early years had knowledge and had wisdom and lived it out. And he even warned against what he en- ended up living. He said, watch out for women that don't believe what you believe. Watch out for the prostitute and the harlot and the unrighteous woman. And that didn't apply to his life in his later years because he took wives that took his heart away from the one true God. So we could look at that and say, well, is wisdom really wisdom? Well, I think it's this. It's, it's a warning that wisdom lived out is great, but wisdom, when it ceases to be lived out, no longer is wisdom and it fails doesn't mean that we should not seek wisdom, but it means that we should understand that the knowledge that God has for us, every revelation that he has is actionable. Every time we hear from the Lord, when we read his word, when we pray, when we hear a a word spoken and and by his spirit it sinks into our hearts, that is always actionable. But when we don't allow it to be actionable, it will become death to us. Bill Johnson, in his book, The Way of Life, put it this way. If ever there was an example of what it's like to know things in the mind that didn't become personal experience, this is it. Knowledge of truth that is unapplied eventually deadens us to the full impact of those specific truths. Strangely, we become insulated from the conviction of the Holy Spirit concerning the truths we understand the most if they have not impacted our lifestyle. I think this is part of what Paul was referring to when he said knowledge puffs up. He didn't say carnal knowledge. He didn't say knowledge about idols or other obvious errors. Knowledge, unapplied, works against God's intended purpose for that knowledge. God intends the information and wisdom and knowledge that he gives to our lives To be lived out. And when we don't do that, it wars against the purpose of that knowledge in our lives. I feel like it becomes what I call dead religion and a weight around our neck. The more we know and the less it affects us, the worse off that we are. Knowledge that is personally unapplied deadens our lives to the truth that the full impact the full impact of that truth in our lives. It works against the purposes of God for that knowledge. I want to reference that, that scripture that Bill Johnson referenced in his quote. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. Paul is writing to the Corinthian church because they have disagreements. And, he, and, and they're, they're, they're arguing about what to do with food that's offered to idols. And everybody had an opinion, everybody had wisdom, everybody had knowledge, and here's what he said. He says, now regarding your question about food that's been offered to idols, yes, we all know that we have knowledge about this issue, but while knowledge makes us feel important, or other versions say knowledge puffs up, it is love that strengthens the church. Anyone who claims to have all the answers doesn't really know very much. That's a word for the... For the know-it-all, isn't it? Listen, but the person who loves God is the one whom God recognizes. If our wisdom and knowledge takes us away from operating in the love of God, if it's not part of leading us into intimacy with God, if it doesn't become applied to our lives in in God's purposes for us, it will puff us up. It will make us feel important. It will... Take us away from what God has for our lives. Go back to Matthew 11. Here's where I'm going to land this morning. Jesus is going to talk about wisdom, and he's going to give us a place to respond to what he's saying. Right after Jesus gives his thoughts about wisdom in verse 19, he calls out three cities for not responding to the gospel lived in front of them. He ta- calls out the, the town of Chorazin and Bethsaida, and Capernaum for not responding to the miracles that he did in them. In other words, he's saying, Listen, these cities where I came and demonstrated, put into practice the good news, where where the gospel was lived out in front of you, these three cities, you did not receive what I was what I was throwing out. You didn't respond to the miracles with repentance and desiring more of God. In fact, he says, listen, it'd be better for the evil cities of Tyre and Sidon and and even the evil city of Sodom. Than for you in the last day, because you refuse to respond to, you refuse to, to, to let the, the revelation that was in front of you cause actual lifestyle change to you. The people in these cities, although they were the people of God, although they were the chosen people of God, although they had much knowledge and understanding about the Messiah coming, they they became hard hearted to a miracle that was in front of them. It didn't penetrate. It didn't co- the revelation of God actually lived out in front of them didn't cause any change in their lives. And then he drops this bomb. Look at verse 25. At that time, Jesus prayed this prayer. O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, thank you for hiding these things from those who think themselves wise and clever and for revealing them to the, to the childlike. Yes, my Father, it pleased you to do it this way. Jesus, calling out a group of people, a generation, he says, that, that are like little children in the sense of expectation, it, earlier in verse 11, says if you really were little children, you would act this way. He says it, let's just go there real quick. This is not in my notes for for the team that's following along, but he says this. He said, verse 16, what can I compare this generation? It's like children playing a game in the public square. They complain to their friends. We played wedding songs and you didn't dance. We played funeral songs and you didn't mourn. For John spent his time eating and drinking and you say he's possessed by a demon. The son of man on the other hand feasts and drinks and you say he's a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors. He's saying, listen, I've come to you to demonstrate the kingdom and you're like little children who have an expectation of things going one way. How many people have that in their homes? You got kids that, that wake up and if you don't give them the plan for the day or if you give them the plan for the day and then you deviate from the plan for the day, it's a hard day for them. Am I the only one? How many of you were that kid? How many of you are still that person? Right? Right? Jesus said, it's like a generation of children that don't get their way and can't understand. They think they're wise. They think they know what the answer is. Let's play songs and dance to them. Let's play funeral songs and you should mourn. I know. They think they have the answers. And yet, they didn't. And so Jesus said this. He said, why don't you be childlike in a different way? And he thanks the Father For revealing the kingdom to the childlike. What it really was is an identity issue that he's addressing. He's saying, listen, you can either be orphan-like children or you can be childlike as true sons and daughters of God. It's an identity issue. When we see the kingdom demonstrated in front of us, when we have revelation of who God is, when we have knowledge and understanding, orphans can't always grasp what's happening in front of them, but Jesus is inviting you and I into being sons and daughters who understand what it is and can apply it to their lives. I've had frequent conversations with my sons especially lately about what it looks like to walk with Jesus. Because how many of you know sometimes kids don't receive what you have to say? But there's that moment that it sinks in where they decide I'm going to receive you as my dad, as a, as a gift from God. Maybe they don't say this like in their hearts, like word for word, but like something clicks because they're, they're ready to take what you're saying and apply it to their lives. And all of a sudden it becomes life to them. It becomes wisdom. It becomes revelation. It becomes a way to live. And that's what Jesus invites us into, to change our identity because the identity for those who think they're wise and clever is in their wisdom and cleverness. And Jesus said, you need, we need to shift our identity to that of children. The primary mode of revelation for God is through relationship. It's through relationship. Look at verses 28 through 30. Actually, sorry, let's start with 27. Jesus said, My Father's entrusted everything to me. No one truly knows the Father except the Son. And no one truly knows the Father. Sorry, no one truly knows the Son except the Father. No one truly knows the Father except the Son. And those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Jesus said, It's all about relationship. It's all about relationship. So look at verses 28 through 30. This is where we'll kind of land for just a couple minutes. And we'll see how God invites us into this childlike relationship. He said, Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and let me teach you, because I'm humble and I'm gentle at heart, and you'll find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Understand the context of who he's saying this to. This is a generation of people who have lived with religion. In fact, there's been a revival at this point in the nation of Israel where they are, they are responsible to God in a way they have not been for generations. They're responsible to the word. They have have nailed this thing down. They're following God the best way that they know how. They're teaching their children the Torah and the books of the law and the prophets. They're expecting a Messiah. And yet into the midst of this, he's saying, listen, it's not about knowledge. It's about relationship. He's inviting them to a new and renewed relationship with him. And so he says, come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens. Let's talk about children for just a couple minutes. And remember, when we're talking about kids in this context, we're talking about sons and daughters, not orphans. So some of the statements I'll make, you'll be, you're going to react to. You're going to say, wait a minute, it's not like that. But that's because we, as children, often act like orphans, and sometimes, as believers, we act like orphans. So let's, let's look at this first. The first statement is this, children know they are in need. Now, how many of you raised children? And how many of you know that there were times where your kids did not know they were in need? Like they were throwing a fit and you're like, this kid is in need of a nap. Right? And they had no clue that they were in need. But real, like true children know that they're in need, even when they don't know what they need. Right? And so we teach them to go from an orphan that just stands there and screams, right, to someone who says, "I, I... Mom, Dad, I'm angry. I need something. They might not know they need a nap, but they need something. Right? And the children of God know that they're in need. They know that they carry heavy burdens. They know that they are weary. And as children, we might not know what we need, but we know that we are in need and we know where to go with the need. And Jesus invites us to come to Him with the need. In this childlike positioning, we ought to be the people who know where to go when things go wrong. Not to work harder, not to try to get everybody around us to do what we want, not to try to leave our marriages for something that would make us happier, not to try to find another job so we can have more money, so we can be at peace, not to try to uh, ignore the uh, uh, entire world around us or medicate ourselves with food or pornography or sex or alcohol or a hobby or something to ignore what's going on around us. When true children know that they have a need and they know where to go with that need. How many of you have ever been really bad? Like, like you're not doing really good during your day and somebody comes up and says, how you doing? You say, oh, I'm good. How many of you have done that? Listen, I'm good can kill us. I'm fine. I'm doing okay. Now, that doesn't mean that we need to be the Debbie Downer in life where every time someone comes to us, we tell them about the hangnail that's got our day going bad, right? How's your day going? Well... I got this hangnail. It's like a combination of Debbie Downer and Eeyore, right? Like we're not called to focus on all that, like, well, I'm just being real. I can't be anything other than what I am. Like some of us just need the joy of the Holy Spirit, right? But we can't let the I'm fine, I've got it taken care of be okay, because that's, that's, that's revelation that says, I've got it all figured out. Listen, children don't have it all figured out. I can do it by myself is not a good saying with the Lord. How many of you were excited when your children said, I could do it all by myself? You were when they could, but you weren't when they couldn't, but they said it. Right? Right? Let me help you go to the bathroom. I can do it all by myself. And you're thinking, yeah, but I'm going to have to do 20 minutes worth of cleanup when you're done. Right? I can do it all by myself can kill us just as much. Jesus says, come to me, you who are weary and carry heavy burdens. You can do it all by yourself, but you don't have to. to You and I have a loving Heavenly Father who invites us into this. And this is the second statement. Children, rest. Children rest. Now, some of you are like, no, they don't, right? I mean, you've you've found your kids like half asleep leaning on the couch because they just went until they collapsed. Like, if you let them do what they wanted to do, they'd be up till 3 a.m., right? Or until they just melt down on the, cry themselves to sleep in the middle of a fit, right? Am I the only one that had this experience with my kids? But as parents, we know what's best. We know when it's time to rest, right? And the truth is this the children of God rest. When they listen. How many of you have had a, a husband or a wife that's had to say, hey, it's time to take a rest? Because you just, you're just going, going, going. I mean, there's that other conversation like, hey, get up and do something, buddy, right? But the truth is this. The real children of God find rest. Not rest in doing nothing. They find rest in doing what their father calls them to do. Jesus invites us into this childlike experience where we can rest. Third statement, children discover a way of life. Jesus said to them, take my yoke upon you. He's saying, you have heavy burdens. You're weary because you have someone else's yoke upon you. You have someone else's way of life upon you. Jesus is inviting us to his way of life. Now again, with children, how many of you have had that experience where children are not down with your way of life? Right? And so we we invite them in and there's something that clicks, hopefully earlier than later, but hopefully at some point there's something that clicks. This is what Hamlins do. This is what Youngs do. This is what do. this is how we live before God this is the, the way of life that we have the same is true for Jesus he invites us not to just be kids and run wild in his house he comes and invites us to receive his way of life to understand like not just what he is all about but to actually put it into practice because children are ready to learn now again in the natural you'd be like no they're not But real children are ready and willing to learn. He said, learn from me. Let me teach you because I'm humble and gentle. Humility and gentleness are the marks of his teaching. I don't always teach my children with humility and gentleness. But the marks of our Father's teaching, of Jesus' teaching is this. Humility and gentleness. So, So when I hear somebody say, the Lord was slapping me around the other day. I'm wondering who they're listening to. Now, if you said that, I'm not accusing you, but do you know what I'm saying? Sometimes his discipline feels harsh, but that's our misunderstanding of it. His teaching to us is with humility and gentleness. The lessons that we learn from him is as he speaks to the inner parts of our hearts, not the part he has to discipline to get our attention, but the parts that are ready and willing to listen. And quietness, and there are humility and gentleness are also the outcomes of that instruction, of that revelation. Right? It's an, it's it's the opposite of knowledge puffs up. Paul was addressing that for the Corinthians. He's saying you've probably not learned what you think you've learned from God. Listen, if your knowledge of God. Gets you into a place of pride and arrogance and harshness with the people around you, you are not listening to Jesus. And I'm saying you to myself. The res- results of his teaching are a greater gentleness and a greater humility in how we walk with people. And then he says this again he says, You will find rest for your souls. Rest is the primary outcome of the revelation of God. If God is speaking to you and it requires, and it produces anxiousness in you, there's probably something that you're missing, either about what he's saying, about who you are, about what's available for you to do, what he's called you to do. How many of you have ever heard something from God and it made you scared and anxious? I have. But I think that's because we've, either received it as orphans or we've received a partial revelation. We haven't waited on him for what it looks like to see what he wants to do. Because every time he speaks to us, there's a grace to enter into it. It produces a rest for our souls, for our mind, our will, and our emotions. Because why? His yoke is easy and his burden is light. It's what he says. So here's the incredibly good news if the worship team can come. The incredibly good news in all of this is this. That God is speaking to us. He's not done. That if we have been in the Lord for years, and maybe we have found ourselves in a place of pride or arrogance in terms of our revelation. Maybe we found ourselves in a place of weariness. Maybe we've, we've found ourselves in a place of a heavy burden. Like, God, I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to believe you anymore for the things that you said. Like, I do believe in you, and I believe that you're able. But, like, when it comes to my specific circumstance, I haven't seen you do what I think you ought to do. And I'm, I, I just don't know what to do anymore. Or maybe you, you, you've been in that place where you're like, God, I, I, I don't know what else I can do. I have played the happy songs. I've danced for you. I've worshipped my heart out. I have trusted you. I've declared your goodness, and I still don't see you doing what I think you said you would do. Or God, I, like I, in humility, I've, I've put on sackcloth and ashes, maybe not physically, but but spiritually and emotionally, and I, I've, come, I've, I've gone low and I've mourned before you and I, I've been asking you and, 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 and asking you and asking you and I still, I still don't see it. Or maybe you've seen miracles in front of you, like your life is full of the goodness and the testimony of God, but right now you feel like your heart is cold to him. Or if if you see another one, you're like, okay, great, whatever. Like, it's just not connecting right now. Here is the incredibly good news to you. That is not where God has called you to live. And Jesus is here inviting you and I right now to come to him. He's inviting us to a renewed relationship to see his glory displayed. He's not inviting us to renew our commitment to him. He's inviting us to come to him so he can renew his revelation to us and give us rest maybe you've you've been in a place where you're just tired god i don't know if i can i can do it anymore i'm exhausted i've been i've been just i've been going going going, 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 and I just need a rest. He's saying, okay, great. Come to me now. Maybe you're in this place where you carry a heavy burden. Maybe it's a family member. a Sibling or parents or children that aren't following the Lord. It just feels like a weight around you. God, I can't I can't carry it anymore. God, I'm exhausted. It's too heavy. I just, I just want just to put it down. Maybe it isn't a very heavy burden, but you've just been carrying it so long that your muscles are totally fatigued. The great and incredible news to every one of us this morning is that Jesus is inviting us to a relationship with him whereby we find rest. Where, where his revelation to us becomes a way that we can live, but it's not out of duty or obligation. It's out of freedom. It's out of empowerment. It's out of living out of his voice. It's out of a place of rest. That's what he's inviting us to today. Let me just ask you, if, if that's you if, you, if you've been good, you've been fine, but you're not really fine, and you need to meet with him again. You want to take that place of a child, or, or you're tired, or you carry a heavy burden, or you're just done being, doing it on your own. I just want to invite you right now, in God's grace, not for shame, but for empowerment, to just stand and say, God, I'm here this morning to say I'm just ready to receive from you. God, you see us, your children. We're coming to you like children. We, we are recognizing that we have a need. We don't even know how to solve it, but we know that you do. So we're coming to you and we're taking your yoke because it's easy and it's light. We're putting action to the revelation that you've given us that there is rest found in identity as your children. We're so grateful, Jesus, that you are revealing the Father, to us. You're showing us who he is and you're showing us who we are and we can walk in it. We receive your invitation this morning. Teach us. Teach us. Show us how to live in a way that reveals your glory as your children. In Jesus' name. Amen. can't think of a better way to respond to that invitation than to recognize the relationship that he gave us through his death on the cross. When we celebrate communion, when we celebrate the Lord's supper, we celebrate his death. We always want to skip to the revela- re- resurrection. But there's something powerful about celebrating his death because the truth is this. His death, his blood paid it all. He made a way so that we could come. So we could experience life everlasting in him. So let's take the the bread. We've never done this before so there's two tabs to pull. Start with the top tab, not the purple one but the clear one. You can get your bread out. It's easier that way. Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread and broke it and gave thanks and said this is my body which is broken for you. Do this to remember me. Jesus we thank you that your body was broken. You willingly gave it so that we could be brought into relationships so that we could be healed so that we could be set free. So we could be called the children of God. We thank you for the your body, and we remember it in Jesus' name. Let's eat the bread together. In the same way, after they ate, he took the cup of wine, and he said, this cup is the new covenant between God and man. Covenant confirmed in my blood. Do this to remember me as often as you drink. Jesus, we thank you and remember your blood that brought us into covenant with you, a fresh and a new agreement, a revelation that we could rest in, that no longer did we have to prove ourselves because we could not, but you did. So we thank you for the relationship and the righteousness and the power that comes through what you did for us on our behalf. We remember the sacrifice of your blood that brought us in, in Jesus' name. let drink together. So good to celebrate with you. Jake is coming now to dismiss us. I just want to say it's been great to worship with you these last few weeks. God bless you, God bless you, God bless you.